Well, good. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump right into our, our topic today. But Father, we, we want to welcome you. We ask that you would come and just, just rest with us and among us, within us. Lord, we, we want to be available to you. So come and, and speak to our hearts. Give me clarity of thought and speech. Lord, we, we want to be different when we leave today than when we arrive, simply because you're here and you're continually and regularly conforming us into your image. So come and have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure how many of you, when you came into the church, if you came in the front door, noticed today or any of the days you arrived that we have a, we have a dedication plaque. And when we built this, this church uh, facility, the building, we, we put a plaque there because there was, a, there was a verse that really captured our desire, captured our heart of, of who we wanted to be, what we recognized our call was as a church, not uniquely to this church, I think it's what God's call is on all Christians, but it was something that, that I believe God gave us and wants to continually remind us of. And the, the verse is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And let me go ahead and, and read that verse. It says, just to give context, this was from a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And there was lots of distractions, lots of things going on in that church. And what Paul said to that church is this. He said, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was concerned for the Corinthian church. I believe God is is concerned and we need to to take note that it is easy for us to become distracted, that we can be led astray from a simple, pure devotion to Christ. It is easy for for this church, for any church, to become some kind of a, a religious organization, a religious club, where we gather together, where we may enjoy each other or may not enjoy each other, where we where we we learn to keep certain rules, where we learn to to act in certain ways, where we walk in the doors and put a, a mask in front of us so that we would appear like whatever we imagine a good Christian should look like. But what, what Paul is getting at and what God has for us is that there is a call on our lives. If we are followers of Christ, it is more than being part of a, of a, of a, a, a church club. It is a matter of being devoted in a simple and in a pure way, devoted to Jesus Christ. The reason why this church exists, the reason why any church exists is because Jesus is Lord, because Jesus is real, and he has invited us into connection with him, as we'll see and talk about. Now, I've been giving lots of thought about this particular passage, especially as we're entering into this new year, and I want to challenge us today to be this kind of a disciple, and to think about the implications. What does it look like to be living a simple, pure devotion to Jesus. 
And, and with many of the examples that I may give today, my intent is, is, is not to be political or, or controversial, but I, I want to, us to be biblical. I want us to understand what the scriptures say. I want us to understand what Jesus said, how he lived, the example he provided for us, so that we can understand the implications of being a follower of Christ. As I said, we want to, to not just because it's the beginning of the year, but what better time to consider, to reflect on how we live. I want to be, I need to be the kind of, a, of an individual that is continually growing in my devotion to Christ, understanding what that looks like, and certainly that's true for us as a church. Now, the, the first implication, jumping right into it, the first implication of this verse, of, of being simple, pure in our devotions to Jesus, is the fact that we recognize the call of Christ. The call of being a disciple is, is learning to live relationally. And, and that may be uh, a very distressing thought if you're like me and an introvert. The thought of, of God implicitly in our call to walk with him, having to learn how to become more and more relational, giving ourselves into uh, to relationships, being woven together with one another, that is essential. That is the central uh, understanding to being a follower of Christ. First of all, we're called into relational connection with Jesus. The Christian life doesn't begin with us signing some membership sheet in a church. The, the, the beginning of the Christian life isn't a matter of, of our church life, but the, the beginning, the, the core of our Christian life begins as we, as individuals, respond to an invitation that Jesus has been giving for, for 2,000 years here on earth, an invitation to come follow him. That's what he said to Simon. That's what he said to, to James and John, to Andrew. That's what he said to each of his disciples in the first century. That's what he's saying to us. Come and follow me, Jesus says. A simple, pure devotion to Christ is a matter of, of following him, a matter of knowing him, a matter of coming to him, and a matter of growing in relationship to him. A simple, pure devotion to Christ goes further than that. It's not just each of us have an individual relationship with Jesus, but it's also a matter of being woven together with the family of God, with the church. That's where it gets interesting. Uh, probably not a week goes by that I don't get an email, something doesn't pop up on my Facebook page that talks about the drift away from the church, how people are leaving the church, why people assume people are leaving the church. Whatever the reasons, and there are many of them, it is clear that there is a drift away from church. I read this last week that 3,500 people a day leave the church. I hear people regularly say things like, you know, I, I, I like God, I like Jesus. His church, not so much. Or that the church is flawed, the church is, is so broken, or the church has become irrelevant. And this, this drift from the church, we see actually, we see in, in many 
social institutions. We see the same drift from, from traditional marriage and understanding of, of traditional family. It's said that, that over half of the children in America no longer live in a, in a home where both parents are present. That traditional marriage, traditional family is now seen as optional in the same way that people are seeing relationship within the body of Christ as being optional or, or irre- irrelevant. And, and there, there are a number of reasons why, but one of the core reasons, I believe, is that people often form their values around their behavior rather than allowing their, their behavior to be formed around their values. Let me, let me explain that for a second. In other words, what people do, what I see in my life, is the tendency to see how I live, to see how I behave, what I count as valuable or important or those things that I want to give myself to. And then when I see what I do and how I behave, then I form a value so I can feel somewhat consistent inside because none of us want to live with with inner dissonance. None of us want to live with that friction of having one set of values but another lifestyle. So for most people, we look at how we live, how we live in our families, how we live in marriage, how we live with the world, how we we function as, as Christians, And then we form our values and we even form our theology around our behavior rather than vice versa. Because marriage hasn't changed. The church really hasn't changed. It's a matter of coming together. It's a matter of honoring and worshiping him. A matter of having having connection and fellowship and praying for one another. Hearing the word expounded on and preached and taught. What's changed is us. And therefore we see this drift because, again, we want our behavior and our values to be consistent. We talk about, or I hear it said, the church is irrelevant. Marriage is irrelevant. The word relevant means appropriate for my current interests. That's the the, the dictionary definition. Something is relevant, it's appropriate for our current interests. So if our interests vary, or if our interests change, then we change what is relevant to our lives. If our interest is primarily our career, if our interest is primarily keeping up with the Joneses, if our interest is is a a traveling soccer team, if our interest is our, our newest recreational toy, then those are the things that take on relevance. And if it pushes something else off the plate, then we say it's no longer relevant. You catch my drift? But Christ wants to be the one, and being, a, uh, being one who is a disciple, who is, who is living a simple, pure devotion to Christ, we need to be challenged, and we need to understand that Christ is the one that says what is relevant, that Christ is the one who t- determines what has value. And a disciple is one who, who, who prays and who desires that what he deems as relevant becomes more and more part of our heart's passion. But beyond a relational connection to Christ, there's a relational connection 
uh, as I said, to Christ and to the world. There's also a relational connection, uh, or Christ and to the church. There's also a relational connection that we're called to to the world. I can't develop that fully today, but it, it, it involves loving our neighbors and being salt and light. And we certainly see a drift there. But this, this understanding that the, that the simple, pure devotion to Christ is in at its core relational, leads us to a second point. That is, in order to live this simple, pure, and devotion to Christ, we have to learn to live deliberately. We need to, to, to set our hearts and set our eyes towards those destinations that Christ has set before us. Just like Peter, as he stepped out of the boat, his eyes were on Christ. That was his destination. That was what he was to pursue. And he deliberately walked towards him. Disciples set their hearts and their eyes on Christ, fix their eyes on him, move towards him and what he's called us to. Some of those things are, are universal. Some of those things are unique for our lives. But we need to learn to live deliberately, intentionally, Purposefully, you've heard it said that the, the path of, of least resistance, you probably heard me say, I like this, this phrase, the path of least resistance makes rivers and people crooked. When we do those things which are just comfortable, when we do those, only those things that are, are easy, when we only do those things that are, are, are consistent with what we feel like doing, then just like a river that finds the easiest path and becomes crooked because of that, we also become crooked. Crooked in the sense that we're not growing towards Christ, but we're growing towards whatever has captured our hearts in the moment, whatever is held before us by our culture. So the essence of the Christian life is only going to be captured. The implications of living a pure and simple devotion to Christ is only going to be realized if we more and more learn to live deliberately, intentionally, purposefully, and, and not just putting our foot, one foot in front of the other, finding out where we may end up. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said this, Set your minds on the things above, not merely on earthly things. He, he goes on to say in the next verse, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul goes on elsewhere to say, Christ is my life. See, it's Christ who gives us purpose. I love how Eugene Peterson translates that verse in his, his paraphrased version, the message. Listen, listen to what, how Peterson translates Colossians 3.2 and 3.1. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Isn't that a great description of how, how most of us live our lives? You know, we're just looking at whatever's in front of us, whatever the, 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 the latest uh, craze is, whatever the, the latest desire of our culture is, just shuffling along. It says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed 
with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ because that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. That's a wonderful description of this simple, pure devotion to Christ where we're constantly prying our eyes off those things before us, be them, be they temptations or just difficult circumstances, and we lift our eyes, say, Jesus, what is it that you're doing? Lord, help me to, to be a, one who pursues you and walks towards you. The person who's just shuffling along is what Proverbs describe as, as the fool, making decisions based on what causes the least amount of, of discomfort or pain or sacrifice. But as pure, simple devotion to Christ, the calling that we have is marked by a life that says, my motives, my values, my choices flow from a deliberate pursuit of Jesus. And folks, that's why Vineyard Church of Delaware County exists. That needs to be why any church exists. If we exist for any other reason other than having a deliberate pursuit of the simple, pure devotion to Jesus, we, we need to take the, 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 at least take the term church off the sign out front and stop fooling ourselves and just call ourselves some kind of a religious club. But if we're a church, if we're the people of God, then he gets our hearts. And we never fully arrive, do we? But we continually say, Lord, deliberately, as, I'm, as I realize I'm being led astray from that simple, pure devotion to you, won't you tap me on the shoulder and call me back? Won't you send somebody along who can, can help hold a mirror in front of me so I see where I'm headed? Because Christ it, it needs to be our audience. He, he's, he's the one who we live for. And Christ is also our director. He's the one that gets to direct our steps. We don't just invite God, to, to join us in our journey. Lord, here's where I want to go. Here's the career path that I've, that I've chosen. Here's the person I'd like to marry. Here are the, the goals that I've set for the new year. Come and bless it. Come and join me, Lord, in this pursuit. Now we don't invite Jesus to join our pursuits. Being a disciple means that we recognize that his plans and his purposes, his divine intentions for our lives are good and will result in, in our experiencing an abundant life, whether we see it in the moment or not, and we give ourselves to those things. We don't simply ask him to, to bless our plans, but we deliberately seek him. So we can grow in our understanding of, of his plans for us. And living deliberately in regards to the flawed church that, that many want to walk away from, 
living deliberately in regards to this, this flawed church, and it is flawed, means that we recognize that the, this, the flawed church is not something that Christ has held out as an option for the Christian life. And I'll go further. It's precisely the flaws within the church, which really all have names and are sitting with you and next to you today. We're, we're all flawed. It's the flawed church that God uses to help us to become more like him. It doesn't get in the way. It's one of his best instruments in conforming us to the image of Christ. That's why the scriptures talk about how iron sharpens iron. Just like one person sharpens another. Rubs the rough edges off of, of each other. That person who you think is just a continual frustration, who just continually rubs against you, that you want to just push out of your life. If we saw things as Christ sees things, we ought to go up to them, grab them by their head, give them a big wet kiss on their forehead, and say, I want to just thank you for being you. You have no idea how much God has used you in my life. Because God uses the flawed church to change us. And that's why when, when I, I hear people say to me, well, the, the, the church, the institutional church is irrelevant. My church are the, the eight or ten people that I get together with, you know, over lunches every once in a while. My church are the, are the, are the friends that I, that I gather together with. They fail to realize that, that as we form these, what I refer to as boutique churches, where everybody is like us and thinks like us and, and, and functions like us and has the same values and priorities of us, we miss out on that, that rubbing and that, that lifting up. One of the things I love about Vineyard Church of Delaware County is that we, there's such diversity among who we are, how we think, young and old, and those who are conservative politically, and those who are liberal politically, those who are, are more academically and inclined in their pursuits, and those who, who like a church that's a little bit more emotional, that, uh, that is a little bit more on the, on the wild side. And he throws us together, and he says, I'm going to allow that, that, that homogenization, I'm going to allow that, that, that coming together to help you become more like me. The primary tool that God uses in your life, my life, are the flawed people that he causes, calls us to walk with. You see this constantly in the scriptures. You look at the, how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. It was the ongoing story of Jesus' interaction with Pharisees to help them see themselves as he allowed them to be confronted by people so different than themselves. 
At one point, Jesus went up to the Pharisees and he said, not because he was angry and trying to just zing them, he said, you're, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're, you're nice and white and fresh and look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's, there's death. On the inside, there's corruption. On the inside, there are things that are dying. So what did he do? The Pharisees who, who tended to be single-issue people, single-issue Christians, and, and by that I mean they had their, their issues that they were very concerned about, and, and the rest of the issues that maybe Jesus is concerned about, they just pushed to the side, they ignored, but they had certain things that, that were big issues for them. Issues that they were, would talk about and would, would uh, concern themselves with. You know, they, they were big on dealing with, with prostitution and adultery. Big issue for the Pharisee. So what did Jesus do? He constantly had them confronted with the difference of how Jesus dealt with, with a woman who was, who was caught in sin with a woman who was, was there at, at one of the Pharisees' house washing Jesus' feet with her tears, a prostitute. And the Pharisee, you remember that story, stood to the side and said, if Jesus only knew who this woman was, who's touching him, he wouldn't let this happen. And I think Jesus was thinking, if, if the Pharisee only knew who I was and my heart for broken, flawed people and in my, my desire to transform them, then they'd understand exactly why this woman is weeping at my feet and why I allow her to touch me. See, Jesus used those flawed people and, and regardless of the fact whether the, or not the, the Pharisees had their pet sins like prostitution or adultery, Jesus used the, the intersection of those lives to help teach the Pharisees. Pharisees were big on dealing with evil, dealing with those who were, who were not right or pure in how they practiced their faith. People like the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and continually Jesus had the Pharisees deal with the Samaritan woman and the Gentile Roman soldier, the centurion. You see, God uses the, the individuals around us sometimes to offend our minds so our hearts would be revealed. And God has placed us in, in a body that oftentimes may offend your mind but reveals our heart, helps us to know and understand, Lord, what is it that I need to ask that you would touch so that I can pursue you and not get led astray and not get distracted and not set up some pet sins and pet issues that I deem as important so that I can avoid the other issues in and around my life. And let me, let me take this, this call to deliberate living a, a step further. He'll also challenge us on this single focus, this single issue orientation. 
let me take, let me take the, the pro-life issue. Now, we are a pro-life church. We don't, uh, don't vacillate on, on that view. I, I am a pro-life individual. I've been arrested two times for, for protesting the pro-life. I, uh, aren't you proud of your pastor? <laughs> but let me say this. As we are pro-life, like the Pharisees had their issues, is it, is it possible that we can take a stand on those things that are relatively convenient for us. I mean, the Pharisee wasn't likely to become a streetwalker or a prostitute. Not many of them became adulterers. So it's easy for them to say, that's a big issue. Because they weren't in danger or challenged with that call, part of the call of the Christian life. And it's very easy for us to say, oh, I'm pro-life, and fulfill that part of the call of the, the scriptures by pressing the right lever when we vote for a candidate in the voting booth. Say, yeah, there I go. Faithful, pro-life, disciple of Christ. But I, I want to ask myself, and if the shoe fits or the croc fits, wear it. <laughs> Are we like the Pharisees where we're, we're, we're completely pro-life, or just comfortably pro-life? Does our pro-life stand, or does it end when a, a baby's born? Or are we concerned with issues of life throughout an individual's life, long after they're born? Is, is health care a pro-life issue? Well, if you don't have it, I certainly think, and you're sick, it's a major pro-life issue. How about the lack of food, being hungry? Is that a pro-life issue? Well, if you have food, you may never think about that. But for a, for a, a family starving in the Sudan... Food is a major pro-life issue. I was reading the other day, there are 22, over 22 million refugees around the world living in refugee camps, living in squalor. Most of the, I think I have a, a picture of one of the refugee camps. And, and, and P, this is in Greece, by the way. And the people who live in this particular, which is a rather nice one, who live in this refugee camp, it's not as if they're living there for a few weeks or a month before they get a nice apartment. There are people who are living in refugee camps for, for years and years and years. There are young people who, that's all they know, they were born in a refugee camp. Because they and their family may have been, been escaping persecution, physical, genocide, Religious persecution. Is that a pro-life issue? I would think so. But it doesn't touch our lives. 
So we may not think about it. We may, may not speak about it. We may not lend ourselves in any way that would cause us to, to bring about any change or any hope for those who are living in refugee camps or fleeing persecution. I would certainly think Jesus would say that a person having health care is important. A person who needs food, he'd say that's an issue of life. Do we put our heads in the sand and call ourselves pro-life because we voted correctly? Well, being those who are pursuing a simple and pure devotion to Christ, are, it need to be individuals who, who are devoted to all those things that are concerns of him. And don't allow ourselves to, to look the other way because it's not touching us personally. Where we use our, our money or our voice or vote, or to reflect those things that Jesus deems as important. And even if the answers aren't clear and easy, how can we as as Jesus' people not agonize, not wrestle with the, the, the life situations that other people deal with? just because it's not something that we're experiencing. Living deliberately means that we become like Jesus and we wrestle with issues of life, issues of justice, because Jesus cares. And Jesus, if you care, I want to care. Is it just that the criminal sentencing for crack is far greater and far stricter than the, the criminal uh, uh, sentencing for cocaine? Simply because crack, it's same substance, basically, but crack is basically used in poor and ghetto neighborhoods, and cocaine is basically used in middle and upper middle class and upper class communities. Is that just? No, it's not just. But it may not affect us individually, so it's it's out there. I talk to so many people who are who are against affirmative action. But those same people have, have, have no problem with profiling. In other words, showing deference when it comes to catching a, a, a young black person who may have committed a crime, that's okay. But showing deference to that young black person by giving them a leg up when it comes to getting education or getting a decent job. Well, no, no, that's wrong. Because that may affect me. That may affect me. 
There aren't simple answers. And I'm not up here today to say, here's the, the answers and here's the positions that we need to have. I don't, I don't fully understand what is the right way to deal with some of these issues. Some of them, I think, are pretty simple. But for most of them, there aren't simple answers. But we can, we can know what's not the right answer. We can know what's not the right answer. See, what does a pure, simple devotion to Christ look like? It's relational, it's living deliberately, and it also means we have no other gods other than Jesus. First commandment, no other gods before us, followed by the second commandment, no graven images. But folks, we live in a culture that is rampant with other gods. But, but our idols, they aren't, they aren't chiseled in stone. Our idols now are primarily represented by, at least currently in, in our culture, in America, our other gods are represented by, by a, a donkey and an elephant. Put that, put that slide up. If you, if you listen to, to what people talk about today, what rules and reigns and directs people's lives, what is the center of their, their conversations, it's, it's basically not just politics. That's one thing, maybe not good or bad, but when we allow some political party and it's their agenda to dictate what we believe, when we become men or women who show loyalty to a political party, then that is challenging our loyalty to Christ. And I want you to understand that party loyalty is nothing new. There were parties in the first century. In fact, they had more parties, and there was just as much divisiveness within the first century parties. They had the party of the the Pharisees, which I've already mentioned. The Pharisees were basically working class. They held to the scriptures, and they held to tradition, and they wanted to keep things according to to, to code according to their rules, but they also there was also the, the Sadducees, another party. The Sadducees, you may have read about in the scriptures, they were more upper class, and the Sadducees differed than the Pharisees because the Sadducees were more than happy to capitulate, to, to work together with the Roman occupation just to keep peace. Drove the Pharisees up the wall, you know, how can you work with the Romans? How can you compromise like that? Then you had the Zealots, another political party. The Zealots, they, they wanted to overthrow Rome. That was their single focus. We need to get Rome out of Israel. We need to get our independence back. That's what was their driving force. And then you had the Essenes. The Essenes just wanted to get rid of everybody. The Essenes went out to the mountains. They wanted to, to separate themselves from Pharisees, from Sadducees, from the Zealots. And, and these different political parties were constantly at odds with each other. And the reality is this, folks, that those political parties each had some element of truth. They had some of the answers, and there were other stands that they took that was, were, were totally and absolutely offensive to God. And it's no less true today. There are things that the Republicans stand for that do reflect some of God's 
heart. And there are other things that are totally repugnant to God. And I can say the same thing for the Democratic Party. And what is most disturbing to God is that we can end up having greater loyalty to a, a political party and, and, and those values that, that our party have held to than our loyalty to Christ. But party loyalty is an absolute offense to God by definition because we're called to a simple, pure devotion to Christ Amen. so that we can look at things not on the basis of any earthly loyalty, but what do you say, Jesus? And I want your heart to re- represent my heart. And, and let me go on to say, I, I think it's, a, it's utter offense to God when I hear, whether it's in myself or anybody else, when we are confronted with something that, that someone in our, our party does, that's something that, that whether it's, it's Hillary Clinton or Nancy Pelosi or, or the president does, that clearly is an offense to God. And our response when that's pointed out is, well, look at what this other person did. Well, okay, the president did this, but look at Hillary Clinton. Or, okay, you know, Bill Clinton did this or Hillary Clinton did this, but, but look at what, what Trump did. As if God looks on this earth and judges things on some kind of sliding scale or relative scale. A simple, pure devotion to Jesus means he says what is right and righteous and just and pure. And we don't, we don't capitulate. We don't look at things relatively. And we are just as willing to speak out against unrighteousness regardless of where it is, in another person or in ourselves. If it wasn't for the fact that the tomb is empty, Jesus would be rolling in his grave when he sees what some of his people say and how they act and when they're silent. See, that kind of devotion, that kind of loyalty is reserved for one person, and that's Jesus. Think about it. What are the implications of the gospel? What are the implications of a simple, pure devotion to Christ? When I hear individuals talk about America first, think about that. How how can a Christian... Take a stand that America needs to be first in the decisions that are made by our, by our government. When we know that there are decisions that are, are wrong at times. Sometimes America is wrong. Sometimes America may need to, just like we may need to, make decisions that aren't in our best interest because it's consistent with Christ's heart. Christ gets to be first. 
You know, I, sometimes I, I wonder, it's just, it's, if God doesn't bring judgment on aspects of what happens in America soon, he'll, he'll need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, don't get me wrong, I love America. I'm glad I'm in America. I love the freedoms I have in America. I love many of the values and the things that America has done. And I believe much of the blessing that America has experienced is because historically they have tried to be those who conform to the values of the scriptures. But where America doesn't, the Christian needs to realize we're citizens not of America, ultimately, we're citizens of, a, of the kingdom of God. We're ambassadors of Christ. And that needs to be reflected. And there are times when living the simple and pure devotion to Christ means that we will make personal decisions that aren't in, in our best interest, financially or vocationally, for the sake of others. The church in America has become so consumeristic, so flabby, so self-focused on what is comfortable because we've been led astray of a simple devotion of Christ. Put that next slide up. This is a church in Brazil. The, right on the river on the Amazon, and, and for many months during the year, it, it floods. Can you imagine most American Christians, if there's a, you know, a sign out front saying, you know, well, the, the, the water's only up to your knees today. Rejoice. You know, we, we have a problem if the, the air conditioning's out, if it's a little too cold, if it's a little too warm, if there's an inch and a half of snow outside, you know, if we, we had to stay up a little bit too late last night. Because there's, there's a loss, there's a slide in why it's significant that we get to come and worship or why it's significant that we can can come to church, not just to see what is it that I'm going to get out of it, but how is it, Lord, that you may want to use me or speak to me? See, we exist so that the will of God, so that his plans and his purposes can be done here on earth. That's why Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let him take care of these other details in your life here on earth. And the answers aren't clear and simple. I'm not trying to sit here and say, I, I have the, the, the understanding of how to deal with, with issues of health care or, or, or starvation or, or genocide or you name it. Refugees, immigration. But Jesus' words and Jesus' actions should inform us and help us understand Maybe not what the answer is, but the what the answer isn't. You know, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time talking about national policy, what Israel should do, what the legislative agenda should be for the Sanhedrin. He, he didn't deal much with public policy, but he talked a lot about personal policy. He talked a lot about the heart. 
And the answers may not be obvious and clear all the time how to deal with things on a national level. But the answer should be very clear on how we need to use our voice, how we need to serve others, how we need to behave. How we deal with with prejudice or hatred or hunger. I don't know what the best way to deal with the poor is. I don't know what the best way to deal with the sick is. I have some ideas what the worst ways are. But I can know and deal with my heart. I can grow in my ability to, to not just love those who I, who I like, but as Jesus called me to, to, to love those who I find as, as on the other side of the fence, my personal enemies. I can, and I'm called to, and we're called to, give a glass of of water to someone who is thirsty, who might be living next to us, or walking down the street, or panhandling. We can give food to the hungry. We can care for those who who are sick and those who are injured. We can learn how to treat women with respect. We can look beyond color and, 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 and social standing in determining how to relate to others. And I can speak up about injustices and prejudices and unrighteousness, even if I don't have the answers. I can not only not engage and avoid conversations that aren't reflective of Christ's heart, but I can speak up and say, I, I really don't know the answer here, but I know this is, this is God's heart or that isn't God's heart. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it, the, the, not only the responsibility, but the privilege that we have as ambassadors of the King of Kings. So let me just end with this. The simple and pure devotion to Christ is what we're called to. And, and today, if, if, if maybe you realize, okay, there, there are areas I've been led astray because of personal comfort, because of party loyalty, because it doesn't really touch me, so I don't really think about it, then here's what I believe God is calling for us to do right now, is, is we have opportunity to repent. But let me define that. I'm not talking about... Let's beat ourselves up. Let's call ourselves worms. Let's just think about how terrible we've been. But the essence of repentance isn't beating ourselves up. The essence of repentance is saying, I'm turning towards you, Jesus. And I I don't understand all the implications. But I want to become more and more like you. I want to be a chip off the old block, if we can call God the old block. I want your heart your character, your desires, your values to be formed in me. So why don't you stand up? Here's how we're going to finish up this morning. I'm going to just give an opportunity for those of you who, who would care to, to, to join me up front, just as a, as a sort of a, a sign of that turning, that sign of that, that desire to say, Jesus, work in me so that I wouldn't be led astray but that I would more and more be living that simple, pure devotion to you. Okay? 
So let's go ahead. We're going to worship with one last song. If you want to join me up front, have at it. If you want to stay where you are, it's, it's all the same to me and the same to Jesus. I just find it's good sometimes for me to physically take a certain posture so that it becomes real in my heart. So let's just turn towards Jesus. Ask him to take hold of our lives, the life of this church. Amen? things that are pleasing to you. Lord, we we recognize that it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to to lose sight of you and the high calling, the privilege of being Jesus' people. Lord, I pray that you take hold of my life, my family. Take hold of this church and this church family. And Lord, more and more, help us to be men and women who aren't led astray from that simple, pure devotion to Christ. Again, Father, the answers aren't simple. but to pursue you and acknowledge that you are our our audience and you're our conductor. To set our eyes on you, that is simple. And then to allow your spirit to change us, we say, Lord, come and have at it. Make us a people pleasing in your sight. Let our voice reflect your voice and your heart. Let the the way in which we use our lives and make our lives available to you 
be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our resources, our desires, make them pleasing in your sight. Be lifted up, Jesus. Be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's, let's learn together what it means to pursue that simple, pure devotion to Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Don't forget.